in your own head about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club. Today, we'll be covering The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Klassen. Tuesday's Book Club is brought to you by the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. And if you are an avid book lover and you're looking for a book club to fit your schedule, then definitely check out Tuesday's Book Club. But we talk about books that make you go, hmm. We bring stories to you that will allow you to grow on your journey of self-improvement or entrepreneurship. I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Toby and Barbara. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hello. So I know we're going to be talking about The Richest Man in Babylon, but of course, let's share what the next three books are so our listeners can get their pens and papers ready. So they can keep up with us. We have next on our list, Unleash Your Supernova by yours truly, Nova Lorraine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's finally out. Yes, Unleash Your Supernova by Nova Lorraine. The next on the list is The Reader by Bernard Schlink. And that's S-C-H-L-I-N-K. And then following that is The Dove Keeper by Alice Hoffman. So those are our next three books, guys. So again, Unleash Your Supernova, The Reader, The Dove Keeper. Get those books. Keep up with us. We would love to hear from you. And of course, you know that we do some (laughs) spoilers throughout the show. So we would love for you to have read the book before joining us. But if that's okay, you can join along. And if it's a book that you fall in love with, pick it up afterwards. So what did you guys think of The Richest Man in Babylon? I love it. I loved it. Great book. Much needed. I actually was introduced to it by my mom when I was in my early 20s, and it never gets old or it's enjoyable no matter what. It's relatable. Yeah, it was so good. And I love stories. I love this format of storytelling. It took place in a certain point in history, ancient history. So that was fun, just going to a different world. But I want to share what we were talking about earlier, ladies, where each of the books that we read, it is so timely for where we are in our life. And it's crazy because you're picking a book, Toby, Barbara, you're picking a book, I'm picking a book, and we're not discussing this ahead of time. So we're picking books that we love and we're all reading them together and the timing could not be more perfect. And this is so true for this book as well. And I think what's interesting is, well, it was written in 1989. So, I mean, to some people, that's a long time ago, but more that it was the person that wrote it. He was born in 18, no, I don't know when it was originally published. We have to look that up, but November 7th, 1874, the author was born. So yeah, it probably was written a long time ago, actually. It was republished in 1989, I guess. But 
think about that. Someone that's writing something in 1874 could resonate so much with me and you guys. Like, that's incredible. I mean, it's because like his, I mean, when you read this book, it's timeless teachings. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's so funny because for me, when I read the book, it was just kind of like, well, that makes sense. (laughs) I know, right? It's crazy. Right? It was just so... Logical. Logical. Yes. It's like, well, this is stuff that we should have already do, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's so funny because like when you look at Ormond and all of these financial are on, in a sense, this is what they're pretty much telling us, you know, and they're getting millions and millions of dollars. And it's just such a simple, I don't want to say if it was simple, we would already know. Right. I don't know. It's, I guess like I could say it's so matter of, it's so like, so for me, when I was reading the book, I couldn't stop going. <laughs> well, this is easy. You know, this shouldn't be, you know, this. but the reality is it is hard for him to have written this book when obviously it was, it was also needed at the time that he did it. Yeah. This book is definitely timely. Well, you know, this book is a collection of parables. And for those that have not read the book, it was written in 1926 and republished. There you go. Yeah and republished. And it takes place in ancient Babylon, if you could guess by the title, over 4,000 years ago. 4,000. So it's so fascinating, as you mentioned, Barbara, that a story that was written over 20, 125, no, was it over 100 years ago? Almost. Yeah. Yeah. A little over 100 years ago can resonate with us now. But the author took a story from over 4,000 years ago. Yeah. And it just shows you that these principles are so sound. And no matter what culture you're in and or what time period you're in, it's going to apply. So let's dig in. Let's see what all the hype is about. Let's see why this book is so well known. Let's read a little bit about the book from the publisher, as we usually do. So The Richest Man in Babylon. The Success Secrets of the Ancients, An Assured Road to Happiness and Prosperity. Countless readers have been helped by the famous Babylonian parables, hailed as the greatest of all inspirational works on the subject of thrift, financial planning, and personal wealth. In language as simple as that found in the Bible, these fascinating and informative stories set you on a sure path to prosperity and its accompanying joys. Acclaimed as a modern-day classic, this celebrated bestseller offers an understanding of and a solution to your personal financial problems that will guide you through a lifetime. This is the business book that holds the secrets to keeping your money and making more. May they prove for you, as they've proven for millions of others, a short key to gratifying financial success. So that's from our publishers. That's from the publishers, I should say, Penguin Random House, that republished the book. And would you say it holds up to what they describe? My thought was when you're reading that is I think the reason why this book, and there's other like financial books that are insanely successful, but the reason why I particularly like this book is it doesn't just talk to me about money. It's about how to behave in the world to be successful. And successful is Money is just a small component of it, but it's also about just the way you live your life, right? Like if you're a hard worker, things come your way. 
And sometimes you're a hard worker and it's not monetary things that come your way, but your soul is happy. Mm. And so I love that this isn't just about, oh, open up a bank account and these details. It's just definitely more like in how to view things and how to live your life. And I love that. Yeah, same. I I definitely, yeah, I, I agree with it. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that, Toby. I feel that the principles, yes, money is the example and that's the focal point of all the parables, but it is really about developing character and traits that just make you a good person, a happy person, a productive person, a contributing person to your family and your community. So a lot of people are motivated by wealth because it translates into toys, physical possessions that can make our lives easier. And so people pay attention because it's the stories are wrapped around how you are following this tale of the richest man in in Babylon. However, what I took from it beyond that, as you just mentioned, it's how do you develop strong, sound principles in just being a good and happy person? And as the author wrote early in the book, sitting at the table of prosperity. I love that. He said, I want to sit at the table of prosperity. Other people are, why can't I? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's just a choice. And so if that's a choice, it may not be a choice for everyone, and that's completely fine. If that is a choice, here's a roadmap to getting there. Mm -hmm. And I love like the first tenant is, you know, keep a part of all you earn, save at least 10% of your income. And I was sharing a story before we started recording. I was watching an Oprah Winfrey show once, and I had read this book already, and she put it another way, but she said, it was really interesting. She said, you pay everyone. You pay the carpenter, you pay your mortgage, you pay your car, you, but why don't you pay yourself first? And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Why don't you, and if it's, and so if you marry those two and you pay yourself at least 10% and in this book, they talk about quite often that if you take the 10% away before anything else, you find a way to live within those means. So in throughout the book, the people that were getting these lessons, they kept saying, but, but I can't even pay my bills, but I can't. They said, he kept saying, but if you take it out first, you will find a way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so smart. And I believe it. I believe it to the core. You will find a way. You just live with less. Yeah, definitely. It's like, so funny story. What I've been doing is getting into cryptocurrency. And I was saying to my husband, this is a few months ago. And I said, I wanted to get to a certain point with my investment. And he said, well, how are we going to do that? (laughs) And I told him, I said, every single time I think about buying a coffee, every single time I think about buying lunch instead of making it, every time I do that, because that's what I do when I get up in the morning, I usually go, I'm just going to run to Starbucks or I'm going to run to Panera and get myself something to eat. So what I started doing was when it was in my mind, I was like, you know what? How much is that going to cost me? It's going to cost me about $15. And I will put in my mind, that $15 aside, when I get to my office, I'll take, and I'll say, I want a coffee, $15, $20. I'll take that. I'll put that aside and I'll invest in crypto. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. And so I started doing that and I'm not where I want to be by far (laughs) because this is a crazy world with this crypto. But yeah, that's what I do. And then when it's in like a bull market, I'll just save it. And then when it dips, I put it in. 
And so that's what I've been doing slowly but surely, ladies. And let me tell you, it's really been working for me. It's not the 10% that I definitely should be doing. And now after I've read this book, I was like, I really have to find a way to do this. But I told my husband, I was like, we have to budget. We have to do this. We have, you know, like there's so many things that we want to do. And without reading this book, we've kind of started. But now that I'm like, you know what? We can get this done. It's going to be crazy because we have four kids um, and lots and lots of bills that come with that. I was like, but I think we can do it if we really look at where we're putting our money. So again, I'm not doing the lunches anymore and I'm not doing the coffee anymore, especially when my husband told me he makes the best coffee in the world, ladies. So I think I can find a way. We both can, you know, especially when he travels. And I was like, we can both find a way to do this. Because if it was, if you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just so excited for this book, Toby. Thank you so much for recommending it because. I mean, it was definitely a gift to me too, for sure. Exactly. And it was so needed, especially right, right now in this time that's so economically weird. And people would say, I bet you if someone's listening right now, people would say like, there is no way. And that's why when you do your budget, you have to actually figure out what that 10% number is and make that part of your budget. Not like see if you can do it, when you can do it, if you can do it. You have to literally have that as one of your line items and that's your budget. You get and you pull it out first. And I think that's amazing. But you know, what's really, I thought was also interesting is I'm kind of like that nervous person that then would hold it underneath my pillow, you know, and you can't, you're not going to become rich or rich it, it to whatever degree you want. And I don't remember what tenant it is. If you just take that money, then say, for example, you have savings account at the bank. I think you could literally have a hundred thousand dollars in a savings account at a bank and it would give you maybe $5 every quarter, you know, and it will not grow. Yeah. So there's so much more to, because let's see the second law. Well, before we, yeah, before we jump into the second law, I just wanted to touch a little bit on the first one with paying yourself first and yes. starting with 10%. Now, obviously you can do more, but no less than 10%. And one of the things I liked about it was the psychological reason behind it. So he brings up Arkad, the main character that's sharing how he acquired his wealth. He brings up that there's no difference between someone who's working and paying all their bills and has nothing to show for it and that's working, what we would say nowadays, paycheck to paycheck, than a slave that has no bills and his owner is taking care of all of their needs. You are working and you have nothing to show for it. Right. It's the same. If you pay yourself first, you are then motivated to earn more because now you're getting back something that is a sh- showing, you know, what you've earned. And it's not just going to the car and the house and the mortgage and cushion and, and clothes and food. And, and at the end of the day, you're like, like what, what am I working for? <laughs> so I just thought the putting it in perspective from a psychological, I would say reinforcement and reward that it gives the individual that's paying themselves first is really powerful. And they're, and you're proud of yourself. You actually, there's a sense of pride. And when you're proud of yourself, you're more motivated. When you're more motivated, you're proud. When you're proud, you're happy. It's like, it all comes in full circle. So I think, yeah, it works. Right. You pay yourself first. Right. And so then you use the 90% to pay your tithes, to pay your bills, to, you know, indulge on yourself, whatever it is. But that 10%, if we're just looking at that, 
then rolls into something else. And Toby, go ahead. You wanted to share what this is. Well, actually, you just reminded me of something, though. So it's actually not till the end of the book that he goes back through all the tenants. And but he explained something that was timely. And so he I forget who he was telling the story to. But like the example is safe just for me. Let's say I have I make $100,000 a year and I take 10,000 and I pay myself first. But I have debts of, because he said you divide up 30% goes to your debts. I mean, if you're lucky enough to not have debts, that's great. But if you have 30, if you have debts, so when you do your budget, you take the 10% to yourself and then you look at all your debts and you literally call your debtors and you can do this. I'm actually a debt negotiator. You can literally call your debtors and say, look, I want to pay you back. This is what I'm working with. This is what I can send you. And some, and he tells the story of some people are angry, like you should do more. You said you would, but if you hold to what you can afford and you've, you've been transparent, you'll get it done and you still can do the 10%. You just have to have that conversation with the debtors that you have debt with and work on the budget to make it work in those parameters. And I thought that was such a good thing. There's nothing money lenders like less than you ignoring them. So calling them and saying, I'm finally getting my act together and I want to figure out how to pay you and this is what I can afford is better than not. Right, right. And you know, going back to how that can happen more quickly than just taking the 10% and having it sit in the bank as you were touching on is, and again, I love how the story talks about it where again, we're dealing with gold coins back then. So he's like, you take your gold and then you want your gold to earn silvers. And then you want your silvers to earn coppers and it continues. So you want your money that you're paying yourself to earn money and then that money to earn money. So you want that 10% to multiply and multiply and multiply. And that's how you become wealthy. One of the ways, one of the major ways of creating the wealth. Now holding on to it is a whole nother thing. But in terms right. of building it, you know, that's one of the things that he right. that's the second law, right? Is to put your savings to work for you. <sighs> and I think that it's really tough because now that I'm getting older, a lot of times I look, I'm like, do I need anything anymore? Like I literally, it's fun to buy, but I literally don't need anything. And I look back and a lot of the stuff I just didn't need versus having a safety net of wealth and, and building my wealth. And so if you're putting aside 10%, but you're still spending more than you have with the other 90% and building up more debt, it kind of doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Well, what did you guys think of the story in the beginning, how it opens? You have the chariot maker, this really hardworking plump, what they say? He was fat and strong or something. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was just, right. And it was such an interesting way how they described the chariot maker. And I guess they wanted to bring the point across that he loved his food, right? And then there was the his best friend, the musician. And, you know, he would play and he would sing and he was really good at that. And so the friend, Kobe, the musician, is walking along and he sees his best friend, Bashir, the chariot maker, sitting on the wall, not working. He oh, comes yeah. over to Bashir and he's like, hey, Bashir, hey, I see you're chilling over there. Can you lend me some money? And Bashir is like, oh, I wish I could lend you money. I don't even have money to buy more food and we're running low on food. Look at the food bag over there. We're running low on food. He's like, well, how are you just, why are you just sitting on the wall doing nothing? 
and you're running out of food and you don't have money (laughs) and you have this chariot that you have to finish making. And that's what started the conversation where they both realized that when they stop working, when Kobe stops singing, he doesn't earn anything. And when Bashir stops working on that chariot, if he doesn't hand in a well-made chariot, he doesn't earn anything. And it dawned on them that one of their schoolmates who had the same education, wasn't any smarter than them, didn't start off any wealthier than they did. Every Each one of them came from humble means. One of their classmates was actually the richest man in town. And they went and sought him out and they brought a whole bunch of people with them because they said, you know what? We're going to find out how he became wealthy and we want everyone to have this knowledge, which I really appreciated that part of the story. Yeah, me yeah. too. People just saw awesome. to themselves, right? And let's get everyone we know to find out how Arkad became the richest man in Babylon. So I just loved that story. I loved how it opened up. It really brought you there. It described the city on the splendor and the grandeur that existed right next door to the extreme levels of poverty. And they were somewhere in the middle. And I think that what was interesting about that, and it's kind of intertwined throughout the story, is if you want to know how to make money, you don't go to a homeless person. And I think that sometimes I'm, I'm a big asker. You know, my mom's always like, learn from others, learn from others. So I'm like the first person to ask for other people's wisdoms. But on occasion, when someone comes to me and asks me something, I love sharing my wisdom. And I always tell people that are afraid to ask people for advice. You have no idea how grateful people are to share. That's right. They want to share. So just ask. And I love how in this book, throughout the stories, there the people are told if you want to know what to do, go to go to the gold, you know, the money lender. The money lender, you would think that, and it even said it at one point, like money lender in your mind would never want to tell you because he's the one lending money. Why would he want to share his message when he's rich getting money from you? But you know what? No, he was okay with it. He was secure in the fact that people still were going to borrow money all the time. And he shared his wisdom. And I think that the point I'm trying to make is you should ask people that know better and take advice from him. And the moneylender gives amazing advice to him with a bunch of parables as well. And isn't that like the fourth rule of gold that that he talked about? Value advice from the experts, right? Don't speculate in getting rich quick schemes. Yeah. And invest in solid businesses that is long-term. And the way to do that is to ask people that know and have learned and can share. That's right. Yeah. And he shares early on how he had money. He did what he was told. He saved the first 10th for a year. And he had, finally, he had money in his bag. He had coins in his pocket. And he made a bad investment and he lost a year's worth of savings. And he realized it was bad because he trusted someone who knew nothing about the investment that he had proposed. And so how would this person who, you know, was going to buy precious jewels know who to buy them from, what to buy, how to negotiate, how to bring them, you know, back safely if he wasn't even in the jewelry business? (laughs) But we do do that. We do do that. And people, one of my favorite stories in there, and I think it's because we've all been asked to lend money to family members. And I mean, some of, I have lent money before and gotten it back from family members. So I don't want to 
make that a blanket statement. But I think it's who you, if you invest, say you gave your cousin a hundred bucks, they never paid you back. And now you lent them another hundred bucks. That's the lesson, right? You already know. So there's a story in there where I think it's, he is going to the moneylender. His sister is upset because her husband never has any good opportunities to be something. And if he would just give some of his money to help her husband become something. And the moneylender says like, that's not the case. What has that person done to show that they can work hard and prove themselves to where that you know that the money that you worked hard for is going to be a good investment? And I love that. And also it gave like how to do it. So it's not necessarily a rejection. It's like, show me by virtue of your own work ethic that this is something that I should do. And it is hard to turn down family members, but you have spent the time and the hard work and you have to honor yourself. And I love that. Like there's always, you hear about famous people and the people that they become the most hurt by are their friends and family, not on purpose, but they're the most comfortable to ask, well, you're my friend, you're my friend. And it's not that you don't give, but you have to be smart. And he had done a round table. I wish I could remember it was a show. I was wondering if it was the LeBron James show that he did, the barbershop show. But he said that. He said that he learned very early on, not just by watching his friends and other people with uh, who were affluent, lending out money to family. He learned very early on that what he was doing them a disservice. Right. Oh, my so, God. Yes. By just giving them money because they expected that his hard work they should benefit from. And what he, like I said, he learned early on that his hard work is his hard work, right? You know, that's what he worked towards. And instead of giving them or lending them money, what he tried to do was help them with opportunities. Wow. So what he said was, if you put in the work to do this, I will help you. I'll help you get to your, reach your goal. As long as I see you working for it, working towards it. And he said, some family members took it, ran with it and are doing very well. And he said a lot of family members were resentful because they didn't want to put in the work. They just wanted the reward. It's hard. Yeah. And he learned the hard way. He learned, he had to learn the hard way, like who was with him and who really wasn't. You know what I mean? They were just there for the money, you know? And he said he, he lost a lot of family that way and he lost friends that way too. But he said at the end of the day, you see a lot of these athletes that they want to give and give and give and give and give. And unfortunately, when that money runs out, they didn't read the book. They, you know, when money runs out, those same family members that they gave the money to disappear because yeah. they no longer have a handout. And two, they're not taking advantage of the opportunities given to them. Yeah. You know what? That makes me think of another story in the book as it relates to family members. I think mindset and work ethic play into this as well. And it does talk about that. And there was a story where this gentleman, he was earning money. He had his wife. She, everyone was, everything was all good. It was just all good. And they were able to afford what they wanted. And one day their fortunes turned and they started losing money. His wife left him, went back to live with her family. He then got caught up in the wrong group of people and then got captured and enslaved. So here's this free man who was doing well at one point, and now he's a captured slave. And 
one of the women who was part of the group of people who owned him had said to him, do you have a mind of a slave or a mind of a free man? Because he felt comfortable enough to share with her his story and how he wasn't born into slavery. And this is what happened to him. And, and he was smart where he was able to use his skills within his new life as a slave to sort of help him stand out from the other slaves. And so she took notice of him and, and so they would converse a lot. And so anyway, he shared his background with her and she had asked him the question because you can be given money, you can be given freedom, but if you have the mindset of a slave, you're always going to be a slave and you could be a slave and have a mindset of a rich person, a wealthy person. And that will show within your life as a slave. You will be revered. You will be sought after. You would be. And so it's more about mindset. It's not about where you are right now. It's not about your circumstance. It's not about your physical possessions. It's do you have the mindset? And he had to sit with himself and think about that for a while. Yes. And it just that's so powerful. And then once he figured it out and said, you know what? No, I have the mindset of a free man. He stopped sitting and eating with the slaves. Not that he saw himself as being better than them. But he had to act and embody where he felt, you know, what he felt he truly was. And that eventually led to his freedom. But I just thought that was powerful, you know, going back to that story you gave us, Barbara, where there are going to be people in your life that will want something potentially. And, you know, in the case of these wealthy um, individuals that you mentioned, and there are some that are going to run with the opportunity and there are some even given the money will lose it because it's more of the mindset they have and the work ethic that they have. So I just thought that was really, it made me think back to that story. You know what? I have a little bit of a different take on that story because that's actually one of my favorite stories in the book. And the young man, Dabashir, I think, or Dabashir, he initially didn't, like, even though he was able to acquire money, but he, to me, I don't think he had the mentality that was needed to keep it. You know, he was very wasteful. Mm. It was like, I don't know if you, if you guys know the term where money was burning a hole in his pocket. Oh, yeah, of course. Sometimes I like to, I have this term that I say to my husband, I go, do you hate money? <laughs> when it comes to you, you just want to get rid of it. You got to love your money, honey. Love that's, it. A, that's good, Barbara. It. Tell him you love it, it. I don't think you love it. I think that he had that type of mentality where... And it wasn't, it wasn't, I guess, quote unquote, a rich man's mentality in the beginning because he was squandering and squandering and squandering it. And he ended up losing everything. Right. And he knew that all that stuff never really made him happy when he looks back, like, well, I had a lot Lost, of stuff. You know, exactly. His wife was like, I'm done with you. And it was crazy because once it squandered, he was like, well, I don't want to pay anybody back. He didn't want to own up to any of his responsibilities, runs off, joins a gang, <laughs> First time he gets the money, again, doesn't save nothing, loses his mind, squanders it. And then he ends up, you know what? Well, we're going to have to do a get-rich-quick scheme again. Let's cut corners again. And then he ends up in the position that he's in, gets caught. Now he's a slave. And I loved that. And I think that in the beginning, he was kind of wallowing a little bit. Like, oh, you know, how did I get myself in this position? But I guess it's better than having to pay everybody back. I'm going to hide my life away, you know? And I think with when, but at the same time, he's still, I don't want to say his pedigree, but you could have seen that he was different. And for her to be able to look at him and say, listen, what are you doing here? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Like, why are you in this position when you have the knowledge to not be? And I think that's what it was that resonated with him. And he was like, I do have the knowledge. I do have the mental means to not be where I am, but I got to take the responsibility. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I came out that came out of the story for me was that, you know what? I got to own up to my past actions and just deal with the consequences. And it's going to be hard, but I got to do it. And I loved it with the one-tenth yours, seven-tenth household, two-tenth patient. Yeah, that's the one. I love that. Right? And you know what? I bet it wasn't easy for him to stay self-disciplined enough. So to me, it was learn from your mistakes, stay self-disciplined, own those mistakes. And I think that was the biggest takeaway from that story. You know, what was interesting about what you just said is in the two seasons that we've had, what we've learned is that the mistakes are not, you know, like Edison said, it's not 200 mistakes that didn't give me the light bulb. It was learning. So sometimes all these things and, you know, you could read this book and beat yourself up and, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. You know, I'm 53 and be like, oh my God, like it's too late for me, but maybe all those different things put me on a journey to teach me to appreciate even like, you know, maybe if I was successful in all of these tenants, I mean, I read this book in my twenties and didn't necessarily pay myself 10% all the time. And, but instead of feeling bad about yourself, it was a journey that helped you to appreciate this book. Now, if you're reading this book now, don't look at yourself as a failure, look at yourself as needing to do those things in your life to be where you are. Yeah. And I, I don't want anybody to read this and, you know, cause it is for a moment you're like, oh, wow, this isn't that hard to do. Why didn't I do it? Especially if you read it like I did. But anyways, one of my absolute favorite points in this book. And like I said, from the beginning, it, it's not just about money. It's about attitude is I forget what part of the parable, or I think it was actually early on one of the gentlemen's like, yeah, but it's luck. It's luck. Having money is luck. And I remember that, um, the richest man in Babylon says, Luck is just comes to people who see opportunity and don't hesitate. And I'm huge about that because I'm like a little bit on the wacky side. If I sniff an opportunity, I dive in and then figure it out. And my husband, who's 10 times, honestly, leaps and bounds smarter than me, more better. That's terrible language skill, but just better at everything. He could have been a surgeon. He's an accountant. Like I look at him sometimes and I'm like, he's brilliant. But he will hesitate. He will think on it. And I've seen over time, sometimes things disappear that you spent too much time thinking on. And so I think in these two seasons, we learn to recognize opportunity, but opportunity is only good if you recognize and then act. That's right. So I think that with wealth and with success, nobody is particularly lucky. If you look at the tenets of a personality of a successful person, were they lucky? Maybe somewhat that, that opportunities maybe showed up for them more often than others, but they still had to be willing to take the leap. I just, I'm laughing because this weekend I was having a conversation with my sister and she's looking at real estate and we brought up a story, oh gosh, decades ago where we had, my husband and I had the opportunity of purchasing in Harlem. And the property starting price today is five times what it was when we had the opportunity to purchase. Now we didn't, we just couldn't afford to purchase there, but we had the foresight to find the opportunity 
and and pursue it as as far as we could pursue it as twenty something year olds with <laughs> with a very yeah. little income. And so, but that lesson though gave me even more, I guess, fire to pursue properties that had that same potential within our means, within our means. And that's something that we've done throughout. But I also was thinking about another story where you said hesitation. And a few years ago, actually, more, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years ago, we were approached to buy Bitcoin, not buy it, not buy it. I take that back to mine it, <laughs> <laughs> to mine Bitcoin. Wow. And being with the magazine, I was always in touch with individuals that were at the cusp of what's new, what's rising, what's coming across fashion, culture, and technology in terms of what rain covers. So this was a space that I was in all the time. So we were always discovering things five to seven years before they became popular. So one of the individuals I was in touch with was like, hey, I have this opportunity and it's this coin. I mean, again, this was before anyone was talking about cryptocurrency. In the so world. it was so weird. Yeah. Like what? And <laughs> it's this, and you have to mine it and you need to get these machines and it creates these codes and the codes create the money. And we have to do, you know, are you interested in investing? And we'd have to do this now. And I was like, oh, this sounds so cool. I did some research. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's moving really quickly in terms of bigger corporations jumping in. And I brought the opportunity up to my husband and he hesitated. And I'm definitely the one that's always high in the sky for sure. Me too. And he helped me too for grounded. Sure. Impulsive. And I appreciate that. So I personally didn't like, no, we got to do it. We got to do it. We got to do it. I was just like, mm. and that moment, it literally was just within days, if not at the most a week, we were out of the market because the machinery the bigger companies were coming in, the late consumer couldn't purchase the machines anymore to mine it in their homes, which is what a lot of these techies were doing that understood what was happening in that space. And so I just chuckle because I'm like, we had the opportunity to mine <laughs> Bitcoin, mine it. So I think at the time it was only, three, I say only, but it was $300 where we, now it's like $50,000, $60,000 a coin. So again, Opportunities are presented to us all the time. And it's just that matter of hesitation that someone took advantage of that. Someone took action. Someone did it. And they reap those benefits and rewards. So anyway, it just made me think like, oh, yeah. But you know what? I think there's like, so it just reminded me of, we think of that as not necessarily your life's a failure, but gosh, what would have been? But I go back to maybe the other things would have went wrong. And the reason why that didn't work out for you was because there was other things coming in your path that wouldn't be there if that did work out. And I bring that up because a long, long time ago, I had some money available and I got involved. I was pregnant and my husband was at office all the time and I put it in the stock market and I got bored and I was doing crazy stuff with like a friend, like puts, and I don't even know all these things. And at the end of the day, of the sum total, I lost about $20,000. And I was devastated. I was in my, I was like probably 26 at the time, just like crushed. And I happened to share it with my mother-in-law, which was also a one-off kind of thing. Like it was embarrassing and I was, I felt horrible. And my mother-in-law was amazing. She said to me, 
if in the grand scheme of things, this lesson is learned, it's cheap. And I am so grateful. I was present. I got the lesson that she was sharing. I was appreciative and I didn't beat myself up. And I did learn that lesson. Never again did I go into something so speculative. So we don't know what turns are going to happen, but things happen for a reason. And maybe the Bitcoin thing, what, you know, money's not everything. So I think that while this book is about being successful with your money and being rich, it's not, you don't lose sight of the values of being a good person and giving back. And you're such a giving person, Nova, who knows, would you have had a magazine? Would you have written this wonderful book? So I think that I really worry that sometimes our listeners will be like, oh, you know, I'm so far away from this, or I've done this and that. That's, and it's not that. Yeah, you're granny, you're granny. Yep. Yep. You're right where you want to be. Oh yeah, and and I do agree with you. I think that the losses are also wins based on what you learn from it, what you take from it. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, and and at the time, it wasn't a loss because I didn't know what it was going to be. Right. It's all in hindsight. You look back and go, of course, oh, man. I chuckle because I think it's funny. But when the market started growing, it was definitely something I paid more attention to. And I took the time to learn more about it. So like you said, it's you learn the lesson and you say, okay, what do I want to take from it? And is this something that I'm still interested in? And going back to the next point that we're going to make in terms of the laws of wealth that the book shares is take the time to learn the skills needed to successfully do what you need to do. Take advantage of that opportunity. And and yeah, so I don't hesitate anymore. I'm like, okay, boom, at least within crypto, because I understand the space. I've educated myself. I've surrounded myself with individuals that are much smarter than me and wiser than me as it relates to cryptocurrency. And so I don't hesitate, <laughs> but I had to learn that lesson early on and I'm grateful for it. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. And so let's just review quickly, because I know we've shared so many stories and parables. I think this book is so profound, and it's really, really a quick read, guys. A few hours, you're done. Yeah, it's wonderful. So the first law, we said, keep a tenth of what you earn. Let that tenth work for you. Don't just put it under your mattress. Don't just put it in the savings account. Let the gold become multiply into silver. Let the silver multiply into copper. Let your money work for you. Let that money work for you. The third is avoid debt. And if you do get into debt, take 20, at least 20% of what you earn and split all your debt up equally and just pay it down incrementally until it's gone. So avoid debt, the debt that you have, reserve some of what you earn to pay it consistently until it goes away. The fourth law is do not speculate on get rich quick schemes. Yeah. We've all been there <laughs> on, oh, I could turn a dollar into 10 million. Let's go. <laughs> No. Okay. No. All right. Money comes easily. And this is what it says in the, in the book as well. Money can come easily. Keeping it and growing it are two different things. So even if you come into the money, you will lose it if you don't have these other principles in place. So I love also it talks about the doing something small over time. And it brings that up over and over and over again. Little by little over time, little by little over time, you're building a strong foundation. You're planting the roots to your tree. That's what this is all about. And all these other tenants are the roots to that tree. 
So, and then we come to invest in yourself, gain knowledge, the skills to increase your earning power. I thought that was really interesting. I was like, okay, now that you've, you're doing all these other things, how can you become more valuable? Like, how can you make yourself, or how can you make someone want to pay you more than what you're worth right now? I just thought that was like, whoa, really, 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 really cool. And I don't know. I mean, I read a lot of books. You know, you ladies read a lot of books. I don't know if I've come across a book yet that's mentioned that. What are your thoughts on what he says around that? Um, for me, I, there was a part of the book where somebody was like trying, like, was saw someone, another person work, and how he couldn't understand how he could be so happy working, right? And he was just like perplexed by it. He was like, this man has a smile on his face. Like he's really enjoying what he's doing. And to that, like when I think about that, we look at the word work as something like, oh my God, this is like a, a negative. negative. Mm-hmm. Work and it equals negative in our perspective to many people. When the reality is work is not a negative. What are we doing? We're Work, we work to gain knowledge. We put our money into work to increase it, right? Like everything we're doing is working to increase our value, either through monetary, either through social, either through mental. We're always increasing, we're always working to increase. And for me, I agree with that. You know, you can have all the money in the world and not work towards getting knowledge or not work towards learning something. And you could be a bore. Who's going to want to be around someone who can be a millionaire and does nothing with it because he hasn't put in the work to figure out what to do to enjoy it? You know what I mean? Or or, or how to, you could just be a, a, just a, a sourpuss because you don't know anything. You just sit there and with the, like be a fly on the wall and everybody's going to be like, oh, look at that person in the corner. He's the richest man in Babylon, but he's he can't, have, he can't hold the conversation to save his life. He just stares at us. You know what I mean? Like a bump on a log. Like who wants to do that? Put in the work to gain knowledge. Put in the work for yourself. Put in the work to lose weight. Put in the work. You know what I mean? Like we're doing work is for us. It's a positive for us. And I think that's what I gained when they said gain knowledge, Mm. increasing your earning power. It increases not just my earning power for money. It's my earning power for my family, my earning power for my friends. You get my meaning, lady? Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, when you were talking, what came to mind was that work equals output of energy. So the opposite of that is, like you said, Barbara, you're just there, right? You're not doing anything. And as you mentioned earlier, Toby, money isn't everything. There are plenty of wealthy individuals in the world that are unhappy. And it's a gift to work. It's a gift to be able to move, to talk to lift something up, to carry something, to problem solve, to... To be needed. You know, my father really, he's 83. He doesn't work anymore. And he says he its he doesn't have purpose. its There is a gift to purpose, you know, yeah. being needed. Yeah. So it's interesting. People feel that, oh, I want to be rich so I don't have to work anymore. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's change your perspective of what the definition of work is to you. Because if the energy you're expelling, the energy you're putting out is within something you enjoy and it's adding value to someone's life. Why would you want to stop doing that? And like you said, Toby, if you're, if you're not adding value, if you're not doing something you enjoy or not doing anything, right? There's no enjoyment to come 
No, yeah, I I love giving and sharing and seeing other people like get better and be happier is as a huge gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really that was a great point. What what are your thoughts, Toby, on that? And then we can move into the last one. Yeah, I just think that I don't necessarily think as we think of learning as like going to school, getting more education, getting more degrees. But even when you share your thoughts and you bounce it off other people and and you're present and they're present and then a conversation happens, you also learn what worked for them, what resonated, what sometimes they then educate you back on their experiences. So I think sharing is a big deal and that's a form of education. So yeah, I love, and that's my, I'm a huge like networker, help people if they ask for help kind of person. So, and I get so much joy out of helping people that way. Mm-hmm, 100%. So I know we're getting close to time of wrapping up our show. Who wants to share their thoughts on the sixth law of wealth that this book brought to us? I mean, I could tell you something I'm doing right now and I, I'm like, I need to fix it. So I got incredibly lucky and invested some money into Apple and Facebook and it's done incredibly well, but I'm only in that. Really, I have a little bit of other stuff and I know that I need to pull my initial out because everybody says, and it says it in The Richest Man, pull your initial out, like don't be greedy. And every day I'm like, we need to pull our initial out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm gonna get, but what I'm gonna do is start going to the experts and saying, what do I do now? Because I don't know what to do. That's why it still sits there. And I think when you're confused, you start to stop. You just keep stagnant because you don't know what to do. And I'm not a money expert. I've just been sort of lucky in that. But the reality is luck can change and become stagnant and actually reverse if you don't keep pursuing what you need to do. So I am very aware of the sixth law and need to figure out the diversification, but the diversification shouldn't happen by your own ideas. It has to be where you go to someone that knows more than you. And it's scary. Money is always scary. There's a limited amount you have and you obviously don't want to lose it. Yeah. So I'm experiencing number six right now. Yeah. Diversification and insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Garrett and I went through a period where we came into some money several years ago and the biggest mistake we made was we didn't diversify the way that we should have. And we learned a hard lesson from it. So now what we're doing is, like I said, we sat down and we were like, okay, this is what we plan on doing with this. This is what we plan on doing with that. We haven't done the 10%. So we're just going to have to reevaluate everything. <laughs> we're going to have to restructure everything again. But we did. We don't, we didn't put our, we no longer put all our eggs in one basket. And let me tell you something funny. My mother is a lot like that. Like when my mother, many years ago, when my mother was getting ready to buy her first condo and I was going through her assets and I remember like going, why do you have 50 different places? I'm exaggerating. So, you know, and she was like, because you never know if you put something here, it could get lost. You could put something here. It, the bank could go down. Like she she had the the foresight to do that. But for me, it was a pain in the butt to like put everything together, but she made sense. She wanted to diversify. So she had different places where she had her money and she had her assets. So I'm going to work towards doing that. I should have learned from her, you would think, but I didn't. (laughs) But yeah, I definitely believe that one, going to someone who is knowledgeable is the biggest thing. And then 
having them help you put your assets, not just in your investments, in different places just for a just in case. Absolutely. And I I want to challenge each of us. I'm going to challenge our listeners. I would love for us to, in maybe a month or two months, just revisit The Richest Man in Babylon and say, okay, guys, before we start a show, what's a story that we can share by putting one of these principles that we haven't already put in use or we started up again on or reinforced or whatever? I think it's so timely. There's so many people that are trying to figure out how can they sustain themselves economically? How can they gain financial independence? How can they break from feeling as if they're a slave to this financial system? This book is just a great way to open your eyes up to so many tenets and principles and or remind you of things that you may already know and or someone's already shared with you. So let's challenge ourselves. Let's in the next month or so. I'm all in. Let's do it. Let's do that. And again, it's always a pleasure. This was such a great book. Again, our listeners, such an easy read. Do it audio. But if you're doing audio, absolutely get the print. It's one of those books that you want to read, 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 and read again and pass it on. So The Richest Man in Babylon, it's about three hours and three and a half hours by audio. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. Everyone should own it. Thank you again for joining us. We so appreciate you as listeners. We are Tuesday's book club. Check out the next book, Unleash Your Supernova. You can get on Amazon. Woo, woo, woo. Sorry. Yours. Yeah, no, let's go. Woo, woo. I know <laughs> the author. I think it's so good. <laughs> so um, that's the next book on our list. Go out, get your copy. Join us on the next episode. This is Nova Lorraine. Come on, ladies. You got to give it Bye. Time. This is Toby. Bye. See you later. Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time on Tuesday's Book Club, again, exclusively on the Pink Kangaroo and this Kangaroo the You podcast network. Take care, guys. <laughs>